one thing that I firmly believe, like a lot of people could say, well, it's not as expensive. You don't hire a professional and you do it yourself. But you know what's really, really expensive is marketing that doesn't work. And in this kind of stuff, the money you pay the professional to do it is usually your smallest expense. The largest expense that our clients have is the money they pay to Google, the money they pay to Facebook, that kind of stuff. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast, and we are here for another excellent episode with a really smart guest. And I love it when we get to talk about digital marketing because that is my forte. Uh, I've referred to my kind of real job, even though real estate is you know, more and more of a real job these days. And I do digital marketing in the real world. Rory defers to me for digital marketing decisions, I think. Is that right? That's right. And I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to this conversation, but I know you, Jason, really are because when we've, we've dove deep into the legal world. I've been there to translate it for everybody else, but now this is your language. Um, and I'm just here to make sure that if I can understand it, then our uh, podcast listeners can too. Yeah. And it's not even just my language. I mean, we have an expert here. We have Brandon Bateman from the Bateman Collective, and he specializes in digital marketing, specifically in the real estate industry. And we're going to let him kind of dig into the types of business businesses that he works with and the types of digital marketing that he does. But first off, welcome, Brandon. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Happy to be here. Excellent. I uh, We were just talking offline uh, before we hit record, and I've seen a couple other episodes that Brandon has recorded with some other excellent real estate podcasts, and he just has so many great things to say. He's really smart. He gets pay-per-click advertising. He gets digital advertising and just eager to hear what he has to say in this space and how he could add some value to you, the listener, in how to generate some leads for your business. Brandon, welcome. Like, let's, uh, let's just start and learn a little bit about you and the Bateman Collective, how you guys got going and, um, and what brought you here today. Yeah, all good questions. I'm, I'm kind of like a, a digital marketer first, real estate guy second. And I think that's, that makes me unique in this industry. Some people think that's a bad thing. Like I don't get real estate. Um, some people think it's a good thing because you know, it turns out digital marketers are better at digital marketing than real estate people who learned digital marketing usually. That's kind of my uh, how, how I got started. So I, the, once upon a time, I was a sophomore in college and I decided I want to start a company. I decided I wanted to learn about marketing and I couldn't find a better way to do it than to start a company. Uh, we started doing this stuff. I eventually ran into a company in my local area and they were a wholesaler. And I thought it was super weird. I was used to selling things for people and they said they wanted to buy things. And I just didn't really get the whole idea of like marketing for that and you know what that was going to entail and all that kind of stuff. But you know, over time for that company ended up being, being really positive. They did more than a million and a half last year from digital marketing leads in their business in terms of just gross wholesale assignment fees, how their business model works. And throughout the whole process, I've just kind of dove deeper and deeper into into real estate and learning about how this industry works. And that's kind of where we got today. So Baven Collective now is a company that basically does specialized digital marketing work, primarily for real estate investors, specifically wholesalers, flippers, occasionally hedge funds or different things like that. And are doing this in over 100 different markets across the United States. And 
I have officially spent more than 10,000 hours doing that exact little niche thing, which I am proud and also not proud of. Uh, because in the number of years I've done that, you have to work a unusual number of hours to actually do that. Happy to be in the industry and, and this, we kind of found our home, you know, working with uh, those types of clients. You know, I heard in some other interviews that you've done that you started out as a bit of a generalist and then you found this niche through one of your clients. And, you know, we used to say in the media world, like narrow focus, broad results. I mean, this was something that we said back in the nineties and I think it leads right into this. And I think it's, if you're listening to this, trying to build your real estate business, it makes complete sense to try to figure out what you want your niche to be and try a bunch of different things out and realize what you don't want. And then process of elimination might find your way to what you do like. But you know, this sounds like a situation where you didn't think you were going to specialize in the real estate world, Brandon, but after you got a client or two, and then you got recommended around, and then next thing you know, you have a lot of clients in this space. You, did you go all in on the real estate side? That's pretty much where we're at right now. We're definitely all in on the real estate side. We have, I think like three or four clients that aren't in real estate right now. And they're pretty much clients that we worked with before we focused on this side and clients that we just think are cool. Like we've got like a baby clothes company and a military defense drone company. That's pretty cool. Like they got like these drones that like capture other drones to defend things for the military. It's, it's sort of interesting, but anyways, just, yeah, for the most part, we're really specific <laughs> and, uh, and it's been really good to us. Like that's, that's when my company grew is when we really started focusing on getting really, really good at serving one type of client. Um, and you know, who knows what the, what the future holds. Cause we we're kind of growing to fill our shoes in the real estate space right now, looking at potential other industries as, as we're kind of um, running out of markets in the United right. States, but it's uh, a whole different game than it was. When you say running out of markets, so are you market exclusive? Yes and no. We will allow a certain amount of spend in every market. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes that can come from many clients. Sometimes it'll come from you know one client that's really, really big. Right. So there's a we just believe in some sort of a point of saturation. Like at some point, having multiple clients in the market is actually beneficial for us because we have more of a 360 degree view of the data. And maybe like, yeah, competition is not good, but better assuming their competition is going to be there that they work with us than that they work with one of our competitors because we can at least make sure that our accounts don't step on each other's toes if that makes sense um but it's uh but there's a saturation point obviously we can't Mm -hmm. handle like 100 clients in utah there's just not enough to go around so we we try to find the balance right you're based in utah right correct yeah when you say market, like, do you like, for example, Baltimore, would you consider the, like the Baltimore DMA as your market or like the city boundaries or how does that work? I don't think you know what kind of can of worms you're opening here. This has been fun figuring this out because the thing is our methodology is that targeting wider from a geographic standpoint produces more lead flow and mm-hmm. true. Um, so we, we always want to encourage our clients to, to target wide areas. Um, and because of that, they often overlap in some way or another. Because, you know, someone might do overall just DMV in Baltimore area or, you know, maybe instead of just Baltimore city boundaries, it expands into some other areas of Maryland or something like that. So the way that we measure right now is we pull aggregate data from all of our clients, not about where they're targeting, but how much money was actually spent in each county that we're targeting. And then on the county level, we look for a certain amount of spend per capita, basically, for, for each channel that we manage. So yeah, a little bit funky, but the concept there is, let's just say we had three counties and we have three clients. If those three clients each could target all three counties, collectively, they would have more revenue. 
than if we gave one county to each of them. So in that in that spirit, we want to encourage that. Um, but through encouraging that, we have to we have to be mindful of that overlap, and it gets a little bit complicated. Mm-hmm. So take us through your process when somebody reaches out to you and says, Hey, I got your number. How can you help me? You know, like really broad, maybe, maybe someone that knows digital marketing a little bit, but where's your starting point with a new potential client when you're doing some type of analysis as to, you know, what the opportunity is, what, what can somebody expect when they make that first phone call? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, as of now, they can expect to, to talk to Noah from my team. He's basically our director of sales. And uh, this guy's literally been marketing since I was in diapers, uh, specifically digital marketing. He's that old and I'm that young and <laughs> somehow worked out. But but anyways, the, the way that it works is we're very much, we take a consultative approach to it. So we want to figure out, is this actually going to work for you? So the first thing that we're looking for in a client is we want people with dialed in business models because marketing is expensive enough that you can't really afford to just go out and pay for a bunch of marketing if you're not going to be on top of your game. Meaning if you're not going to be ready to get to leads quickly, you're not going to be ready to monetize them well through like, let's just say you're wholesaling, having a strong dispositions process. If, if I talk to you and I know that your area averages $20,000 wholesales and you tell me that you average $10,000 wholesales, you're not really a candidate to be a client of ours. And the reason being, I know that you're not the top of your game in your market and whoever is, is going to outspend you on marketing and squash you. We want to work with that guy who would squash you and not you, if that's the case. So, so we basically, we look for, we look for that kind of characteristic in our client that we believe that they actually have the potential to be the best because ultimately with marketing, he who can spend the most to acquire a customer is who's going to win. And a lot of that comes in the back end of the business model. Of course, we want to make the marketing more efficient. Um, but in a, in a competitive game like this, uh, that's, that's important. So once we kind of verify those things, we want to talk about like what kind of different uh, business challenges you might be dealing with. Some channels are a better fit for our clients than others, depending on where they're at. For example, let's just say your bottleneck is on the acquisition side. You only have a certain number of acquisitions people. They're really busy with leads. Maybe Facebook ads isn't a good channel to throw into that because Facebook produces cheap leads, yet they're not quite as high quality as some of these other channels, even though the ROI is good because your bottleneck in your business doesn't align well with the channel. On the other hand, PPC or paid search marketing produces a very high quality lead and it could match that very well. Or let's just say you need revenue quickly in your business to stay afloat. SEO is not going to be the play for you. That's going to be a long-term play uh, that generates leads. But if you're not going to be in business to be able to generate or to be able to monetize those leads and actually have value from it, then that's, of course, a waste of money. However, if you are in that good position, investing in that early is one of the best investments you can make. So I guess in summary, we want to make sure that the that the that you're ready to make good value out of the leads and that we're we have a strategy that's going to match really well for what you're trying mm-hmm. to do. Um, and as long as those things are true, we have a green light. How sophisticated do you find the people that reach out to you? But do you think that they understand all these channels and how to use them? Or are you finding people that have dabbled in A, B, and C? probably not all together, probably not all that well. Uh, And then it's your job to kind of explain to them really how they should be working with all these different potential lead sources. There's a huge variety, although it definitely skews one way. We, We have clients that like, or even like marketing agency owners that do a lot of digital marketing in other agencies and they just or in other industries and they just respect our experience in, in this industry. We have clients that self-manage their PPC 
before they start working with us. And then they're just kind of ready to hand it off to an expert. So there's, there's a few kind of categories of our clients that are definitely know what they're doing and kind of talk the talk. I'd say the most of our clients are not in that category. Um, and sometimes it's almost better for them because you don't need to know all that stuff. You know, sometimes people have a hard time letting go if they and delegating, if they really like feel like they know a lot about something. Um, and for the most part, we're kind of guiding our clients to those different things. In my mind, our ideal client is someone who recognizes us as an expert and is willing to listen to our advice. And no matter how much they know about digital marketing, if they can check that box, they're good. Where we run into issues is where the client says, do this. They come with solutions, not problems. And it's, uh, we get in those tough spots where it's like, we listen and this campaign tanks or we disagree and, you know, they want to fire us if we disagree or something like that. Like we definitely have those scenarios. So I think, uh, I think they kind of thought, like I have a client that last month I had to help them sign into their email. Like if, if we're talking about like, level of knowledge in digital marketing that's about as low as we can get right mm-hmm. uh, we work with that we work with people who are really savvy um but the one thing that they need to have in common is that they trust us as the expert and they're ready to just follow our guidance and, and if you do that you know that's how we can find the most success having a professionally managed um digital marketing professional is just a it's a large expense especially for a small business for somebody who's mm-hmm. building that small business do you recommend that they work on some of these aspects themselves with an eye toward growth and professional management later on or do they really need to jump in with a professional from the beginning that's a good question because one thing that i firmly believe like a lot of people could say well it's not as expensive you don't hire a professional and do it yourself but you know what's really really expensive is marketing that doesn't work and in this kind of stuff, the money you pay the professional to do it is usually your smallest expense. The largest expense that our clients have is the money they pay to Google, the money they pay to Facebook, that kind of stuff. So like my opinion is dabbling is just not usually a good idea. If anything, people are okay with it just because it costs so little that it's not super consequential. But on the other hand, it also produces nothing. So even a small amount of wasted money, in my opinion, is just not really a good idea. Um, I think if you do it, do it right. And the only reason being most of the expenses, the ad spend. Mm -hmm. So it's insane. When we look at our fees for our clients with the average budgets that they're working with, if, and this is just average numbers across like, you know, with the average deal sizes, our clients are doing average close rates on leads, you know, spend everything like that. Mm -hmm. On average, they need 4% better results working with us to break even on paying our fee compared to doing it with absolutely no management fee, 4%. So you think if like if a company is specializing in this and mm-hmm. know exactly what they're doing and, and all that kind of stuff, can they do four percent better than you can? And that's all you need to cover the fee. It's, the answer is usually yes. Uh, I would say the answer is yes. I mean, people usually come to the conclusion that the answer is yes. And you know, sometimes they look at how much money to pay us and like, oh, what if I say that? But you know what? All that advertising spend is the real expense, and poor performance is more expensive than any marketing check. It's an investment, right? So I'd say a high quality investment that's expensive is much better than a low quality investment that's cheap. Like a lottery ticket. You know, I'd rather invest in multifamily real estate than a lottery ticket. If that yeah. makes sense. I've heard you explain well before. It's just that when you use these different channels, the, the leads that come in are very different. I'm not just talking about the quantity there, but a lead that comes in through Google AdWords is going to look very different than somebody coming in with you know paid social media marketing versus somebody who just came in through um, an optimized blog post. And in that, you know, somebody with Google AdWords is known, at least in our industry, as a 
much strongerly because they sought you out and they're a little bit more ready to take action. But leads like that require an immediate response. Otherwise, they're actively searching and they're ready to move on to the next one. Somebody in social media marketing is, from my understanding, going to have like a longer time horizon that came to you a bit more passively and just a lead that you have to nurture over a long period of time. I guess, first off, am I kind of correct in that assumption? And then how deep do you go into counseling your clients about how to make best use of the leads that you're generating for them? All good questions. And, and I think you're, you're right on the right track um, with those leads. We still do preach urgency is really important with the Facebook leads. There will mm-hmm. be more things closed on follow-up, but Facebook leads actually close quicker than cold call leads, generally similar timeframe to direct mail leads. Because the interesting thing about digital marketing is the process starts when someone reaches out to you versus if you look at, uh, you know, if you look at like cold call marketing or something like that, it starts when you reach out to them. That's why it takes so long. Um, so, you know, you sort of just like cut off the beginning of the process, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we, we do, we do some sort of interesting stuff. So one thing that's unique to us compared to other agencies is we collect data from our clients about what they're closing. And because of that, we see, which clients of ours are statistically doing better with closing leads compared to others. And what we'll do occasionally is we basically separate out who are like the top 10% of closers on leads. And we start asking them a bunch of stuff. And where I think people go wrong with this is they just like, look at what do those people do? And then they, they just like say that's best practice. What we do is we basically build a big old list with each person with a deep interview, we interview their team, all that kind of stuff. And we talk about what do you do? get that big list from everybody. And then we look at all of those top performers. What is the stuff that's on everybody's list? Not just something that someone does, but the stuff that they all have in common. And that's what we call best practice. And those best practices can more or less be boiled down to to three main things that differentiate our clients that are doing really well from those that aren't. And and those are first urgency. You kind of touched on that a little bit. Um, Our clients that are doing really well with these leads, they know it's important to get to leads quick. But it's not just that they have that knowledge, they actually take action on it. And if they have a team, they measure the performance of their team to make sure they're taking action on it. You'd be surprised how many business owners, the way they track a metric is they just ask people like, hey, how, how long is it taking you to get to leads? And the number that you're going to hear there is always going to be lower than the number that you actually track. Um, and that accountability is really important, right? So urgency, tracking, um, the urgency so you can make sure you're being fast with that, I think is really important. After that, it's kind of a mindset around the leads, especially maybe it's a little bit different when you're in the agent game, especially in for investors. It's very common to like acquisitions people, they they like to cherry pick deals. You know, who wouldn't? They like the less least effort, they like the most reward. And there's lots of channels that produce a lot of low quality leads where you're kind of sifting through things. The difference in the mindset with our clients that are doing really well with digital marketing versus not is that they just have like a relentless mindset that every time a lead comes in, that's absolutely a smoking lead. That's going to be our next deal. They believe it. So it happens. They assume that someone's motivated until they can prove that they're not versus our teams that do worse to kind of assume that someone's not motivated until they can prove that they are. So they're looking for the seller to tell them why this is interesting to them instead of you know just assuming. Like even if that person says they want 300 for their house and you know it's worth 250, assuming that there's motivation, just going on the appointment, building rapport and making it work. That's one thing that all of those clients have in common. And a lot of that comes down to the culture of the company. Like, are they excited to do those things? Have they heard those stories kind of repeated within the company, the times and that worked out really well, all that kind of stuff. And then the last thing is just who are the leads going to talk to? 
our clients that have leads go to someone who's a lead manager, like a VA that like goes through a script and asks some questions and stuff like that. Um, they do significantly worse than our clients that have leads go directly to someone who can be a closer. I guess the the difference here is just imagine uh, imagine you're a seller, uh, and in this case, like a motivated seller, and you have this big pain, and you're going to Google and you're trying to solve that pain. Um, and you search. What what ends up happening a lot of times is you reach out to a company, and then instead of solving your pain, what they do is they schedule an appointment to solve your pain later. And the problem with that is that you still have pain. And whoever's the first company to get to the seller quickly, to build rapport in such a way that I know that like even if Rory's not going to buy my house, like Rory's my guy. Like he's going to connect me with the right person. Like I really trust Rory. Like I feel like I have this in the bag. I don't have to keep on searching. And the person who who can basically build that rapport is the person who stops the search, who makes the seller feel like their pain is gone. That skill of even though you haven't gotten the house under contract yet, making the seller feel like the pain is gone is something that lead managers generally aren't very good at. That's a closing skill. Um, so I think it's, you know, in a world where leads are becoming more and more scarce, but more and more valuable. I think it's insane that some companies pay their janitors more so than they do the person who takes the lead at the hottest moments in their company for their entire revenue generating activities. I think that's a, an investment well worth making to get quality people there. I think a lot of that comes from a lot of the productivity blogs and podcasts that are out there, you know, the four hour work week and, you know, outsourcing everything. Um, so basically you have a team of people doing all the work for you and you just kind of sit back and appear on podcasts. And I'm sure that you don't do that because you're actually in there doing some of the work yourself. We'll be right back. Every other real estate rental property deal analysis spreadsheet is wrong. The only spreadsheet that correctly analyzes your real estate deals taking into account reserves, true cash flow, including depreciation, and your true net equity on a property is the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet from the Real Estate Financial Planner. Download a free copy today and finally start analyzing your rental properties correctly. Go to refp.info forward slash free to download it today. Yeah, it's a, a little bit different game for me. Don't ask me about work-life balance. I haven't figured it out. Four-hour <laughs> work week sounds like, a, sounds like a myth to me. I'm sure it's achievable in some way or another. But yeah, I think, um, well, the thing is, it's not like I believe that business owners have to do all these things. Some of the best closing teams that we work with, the business owner is. I just talked to one today. He just only spent a, a month in Puerto Rico where he was working five hours a week. Right. So I guess it really That's what they do. Exist. Yeah. But he's got also on that call was his lead acquisitions person who's an absolute rock star mm-hmm. and who holds the team accountable and who has that mindset of, Every lead is smoking hot until you can prove that it's not. And they send the leads right to the qualified people. And you know, like if you're looking at lead management as a value per hour activity, it's it's high value, right? And they do really well. They close better than their average client, but it's uh it's because they have a tight operation. So it doesn't mean that the business owner has to do it, but you gotta pay someone good to do it. And yeah. you know, unfortunately it tends to be expensive, but it's the single most important revenue generating activity in your business. So I think it's worth it. It sounds like you've done a lot of work understanding the other side of the digital marketing, you know, not just 
logging into Google AdWords or whatever tools you're using and optimizing and downloading keyword lists and analyzing Excel files and running pivot tables and all this stuff. Like, you know, you speaking the language of the people that are your customers and understand, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you understand not just their pain points, but their processes. You know, you've interviewed them saying what's working well for all of them. You found some commonalities. Like, have you... Did you intentionally go down that road? Like, did you go out with any of your customers and, you know, ride along with them on appointments or listen in on things or follow along on Zooms? Or, you know, how did you pick up all of the the other side of the equation? It's a good question. Primarily through interviews. I've never been on a seller appointment. I've talked to a lot of people that have been on a lot of them. And I see the difference. And like, I can tell when I talk to an acquisitions person if they're going to be successful with these leads or not. When I just talk to them about like what's happening with the leads and stuff, and there's mindset differences. Right? We talk about the tactical stuff all day long, but there's culture and mindset differences and companies that perform really well versus companies that don't. And it's a lot of that really, um, just a lot of being really in the game. I mean, I've spent, uh, I've spent 12 hours a day on Zoom calls with those exact people for a really long time now. So I, I just, I guess I just spend enough time in the weeds that, that I get to know it, but I haven't... Uh, you know, I, I've never, I've never been at a seller appointment. I'm, I'm definitely like not that involved. I'm not the guy who will tell you how to close a deal by any means. Um, but what I know is kind of like some tactical lead management things that tend to make a difference. Um, and to me, that's different than sales. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. It, it's process. And I do understand the process fairly well. Right. The lead generation is one part of it, but then, you know, as they go down the funnel, where are they falling out? And it's optimizing all those points along the way. Oh, absolutely. And it's about optimizing the business. Like I, I truly believe that that's the biggest thing to market. You look at all the biggest companies in the world, how do they get big? It's because they built strong value from whatever came their way. They increased their lifetime value per customer. And in doing so, they made marketing more affordable to them. And they opened up new channels that otherwise would have been more expensive and that kind of thing. Um, and that's, I think that's like most of making marketing work. As much as the marketing side is really important, that's, right. that's really important as well. So Brandon, what do you think people are doing wrong with digital marketing? Because it's very easy to launch a Facebook ad and it's very easy to launch a Google ad. They, they give you credits. They want you to launch them. Look how easy this is. It's really difficult if you're not doing this all day, every day. Like, What, what are people doing incorrectly? Yeah, good question. We can get, we can get a little tactical with it. First, to start out on a high level, the biggest thing that I see people making a mistake on um, is they don't understand the difference between performance and results on a marketing campaign. Uh, and if we're, you know, if we are to define those, you think of um, performance. Let's just say we're flipping a coin. The performance is that that coin flips at fifty percent. Fifty percent of the time, we're going to get heads. Fifty percent of the time, we're going to get sales. I'm sorry, tails. <laughs> I say sales too much, I guess. I don't want sales. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Well, I guess that is kind of true. 50% of the time we're going to get sales in this analogy, right? Uh, but the, yeah, but the, the point is, let's just say I flip the coin twice and I get heads twice. The result is that I got two heads. Um, the problem is a lot of people look at that coin and they're like, well, that's a crap coin. I'm going to get rid of that coin because uh, it doesn't flip at 50% like I was hoping it would. And the thing is, there's a lot of variability in this. And this is especially true with the real estate investment industry because our clients are doing deals that are worth 20, 30 grand, let's just say on average across the United States. And they're chasing them with five grand a month budgets or something like that. And you know, the same could be said for agents where 
you're not the point is nobody here is an e-commerce company that makes their money from 100 customers a day or something like these are businesses that make their money from sometimes a single digit number of customers on a monthly basis and what that means is that you have huge data sparsity issues and natural variability is really large i cannot tell you how many people i talk to that um say like my marketing campaign was working and now it's not when in reality the way i see it is like they got tails twice in a row once and then now they have like three heads in a row and they're like oh no it's broke and the coin's still flipping at 50 percent, and they just need to hold it out consistency is the number one thing that people get wrong with with marketing i think that's so important um one thing that we do to kind of drive this home to, to show the clients is we will uh, we will look at like our average client budgets and things like that and average results and and we say like average results may be headed towards like a five x return on investment um, and we just look at given like the most consistent marketing campaign that would ever exist in the world and the kind of budget that our clients are typically working with what is the percentage chance they achieve a certain outcome in a certain amount of time because we build a histogram out of the potential outcomes that would have happened with clients um, if you look at like in a three month period. 50% of our clients are expected to have no return on investment, even though they're averaging 5x. Six-month period, 25% are expected to have no return on investment. If you look at a 12-month period, there's a lot that fall into a 10x return range and a lot that fall into a 0 or 1x return range, even though they have the exact same performance. And the idea is, I don't think anybody fully understands quite how powerful the natural variance of variability is in this campaign. I'm convinced that everybody's just running in circles constantly chasing things, reacting every single time they roll the dice and it just doesn't give them the number that they're looking for. And everybody thinks their die is broken all the time. And the reality is we're all just flipping a coin, rolling a dice, whatever the case is. And if we truly understand a lot of averages and we understand benchmarks, what we can do is we can normalize that spread. We can see things with an even eye where the dips look normal, the peaks look normal. And we can recognize that most trends aren't actually trends and most marketing campaigns do have success long-term. That's the biggest thing. So sorry for ranting on that forever, but I just, I'm convinced nobody gets it. One, hopefully one of these days I'll be convinced otherwise. I, I'm still convinced that even if I explain it, people don't get it. Um, I think it's just so hard to see like when it's like money involved, right? Yeah. Real money coming out of my bank account. And that's what's hard about marketing. You need to be able to stomach it. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alex Brayshaw. Join me as I celebrate the positive impact of business and what drives the people behind it. It's a chance to hear from business leaders, emerging sectors and industry influencers about their unfinished business in just 25 minutes. I mean, your, your approach just seems so pragmatic and empirical, right? Like you're going off of data. You're going off of trends. Mm -hmm. It seems like you're going off emotion at all, which I think a lot of people when they're making decisions will go off emotion. And you're finding best practices where things will work. It's not just the digital marketing. I know that we started this with a digital marketing conversation, but a lot of what you've talked about is well, what do you do with the results of the digital marketing? And a lot of that will determine success or failure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and part of the reason I, I focus on that so much is because, you know, truthfully, I think on the digital marketing side itself, People should just let someone else do that because most business owners are not going to become an expert at digital marketing. Yeah. If, if you're like one of the few people that's like naturally inclined to that and you want that to be your like main use of yourself as a business owner, then go ahead. But like, I think it could be argued that there's a lot of other skills that are a lot more worth building. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something that could be easily hired out. Um, but 
yeah, that's that, that's the biggest thing. And if we're going to dig into to some other things, um, I really think that people just aren't using data in as high quality of a way. I think if you are going to do digital marketing, you need to do tests and you need to do really good tests. One thing that I'm really proud of is we have spent tens and tens of millions of dollars, you know, over the past few years in this industry on advertising. Not a single dollar has ever been spent not on a split test of mm-hmm. some type or another. Every single dollar has a goal of one, producing a result, and two, teaching us how we can better produce a result another time. Mm-hmm. And if we have that constant approach, we'll always be improving. And I think that's, uh, I just think that's that's really important. A lot of people with digital marketing are just kind of putting all their eggs in one basket, thinking this is what's going to work and they do it. Yeah, that data-driven testing methodology has served us really well. Yeah. Isn't that like the click funnel approach too? Like you're always making little tweaks along the way. You know, like if this, if you're doing an A-B test and this got a 4.5% click-through rate and this got a 4.9% click-through rate, you know, you take the winner and then you, you know, put it up against something else and you try to keep optimizing upward. Yeah. A lot of people will say it's like going to the vision doctor. There's like one or two. Yeah. Yeah. And you just keep on, you know, eventually the, you'll get the right you, one. Yeah. You eventually reach a point where you're like, well, I don't know. They look about the same. Just give me the glasses. <laughs> Well, that's the that's the kind of thing that a lot of people don't realize is that most split tests go poorly or have no impact. You know, <laughs> at some point, it gets really hard. Like it's less about the testing, and it's more about having really good ideas of what to test that are actually going to work better. Uh, so, you know, there's there's quite a bit of, of pieces there, but that's the thing. And if we look at, I almost use like one of our clients liking an ad as a reason that it's not going to work because, for the most part, my opinion is that ads that people like or think will work well not only are like com- not more likely to work well, but I think they're actually less likely to work well. It's, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm completely convinced. We have friction with clients sometimes where they're like, I don't like those ads and all this stuff. And I don't know what to tell them other than like, I can show you a hundred ads that we tested that you would love, but they don't work. And yeah. these are the ones that work. Um, so there's a, that's why you just have to follow the data and do the testing. We've looked at that also. Like Rory, Rory's doing some digital marketing now and every so often like we'll get served some of the ads and you know, our mindset into it was, well, let's let the system work how it's supposed to work. And then, you know, we'll have conversations along the way, but then sometimes you just get either the ad or you see the copy and you're like, all right, well, let's just, let, this isn't right. <laughs> like, I, I, I get it. Like you want to let the system work, but like, you know, can we, tra- can we change this? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a little bit of sniff test involved in my opinion, but I, I definitely hear oh, what yeah. you're saying. You have to decide what to test. Like that's right. the point where you, you like use your brain. And yeah. then when you're unsure, you test them. No, I mean, I was going to say, I recognize the tension within our own business between um, advertisements that I look at and I think are, you know, better looking or just sound better um, as opposed to the ones that Jason might put together that are, you know, a little bit more targeted for SEO longevity. But um, part of it, I always wonder how involved should a business owner be if, if they've engaged professional services to manage this, how engaged should the, the owner be in the direction that their marketing is taking? I think the, the owner needs to make sure that the company that's managing things understands the strategy of the company and mm-hmm. what they're trying to accomplish and what's important to them at that given time. And as an agency, if you're all over the place with that, it gets really hard. Yeah. Like one day you're like, we're not getting enough leads. I'm like, well, we can get more leads, but they're going to be higher cost per leads. Like, okay, just do it. The next day you're like, the ROI is not good enough. Like you're just always going all over the place. That's going to be, it's just hard, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're like uh, chasing it in circles and um, it makes it really hard to, to actually focus. Like as a, as a business owner, if you just have your agency running in circles for you all the time, what 
it might feel good because you feel like they're working really hard, but what mm-hmm. realistically happens is they don't have as much time to spend on the actual strategy of your account and the things that actually matter. Um, so I think like involvement and making sure that they have the information they need in order to be successful and know what's important to you and consistency with that. But then you kind of have to let them do their thing to, to mm-hmm. some extent. If you trust the company, there are agencies out there where the fact that you email them every day and say, what's going on with the marketing means that they work mm-hmm. on your account. Whereas if you didn't, they wouldn't. No. <laughs> if you're working with a good agency, you know, no matter what you do, they're just going to do their thing. It's just, yeah. uh, it's just a factor of making sure you give them the right information. I mean, it's the trust though. I mean, I'm sure you have clients on both sides of that. Like you hear from them every day, like, all right, here's, you know, here's John emailing <laughs> us yet again. We all have clients like that. Rory has, he talks, he talks about them all the time. Mm-hmm. Like people that message him at all hours, you know, there's some of those for sure. Trust is important. I mean, I think that in the space that you're in, Brandon, there's a lot of people that all have a specific way they want to do something. And it makes it really difficult for a business owner to figure out who to trust. You know, it all go, a lot of it goes down to referrals. And I'm guessing that's where you get a lot of your business. For sure. Yeah. A lot of that. I feel so bad for business owners who have to make these decisions because the reality is there's a lot of agencies out there. And I think there's a lot of good agencies out there, but there's also a lot of bad ones. Mm-hmm. And for you to be able to look at them and say, this one's good and this one's bad is something that most business owners can't do with their skill set. They don't even know what these companies do. So I, I don't honestly have an answer to that solution other than like mm-hmm. referrals and just working with people you trust and stuff, because it's so, it's so, so difficult to know um, who's real and who's not. But the thing is, if you don't have that layer of trust, you're not going to achieve the outcome that you're looking for. It, it doesn't guarantee that you will if you do have the trust, but if you don't, it, can, it almost guarantees that you won't. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, that, that's that's really important to to have. I, I like to say that you should marry your marketing agency. You know, it's not like you just kind of like see, like so many businesses have that mindset of like, oh, will you perform or not? It's, that's like, you know, on the first date saying like, you know, is this going to work or is this not? And if you do right. this, then we're good. And if you don't, then, like it's, Things take time and, and you just need someone who's going to not BS you through that process and just tell you how it actually is. Yeah. I have, I have two final questions before we get to our final questions. So I guess I have five final questions, but the two I have are, um, are you seeing anything different these days? Like we're recording this in the spring of 2022. Um, you know, the, a lot of real estate markets around the country these days are just going bonkers. Interest rates are going up now. Uh, inventory is still so low. Um, are you seeing anything, is that impacting the performance of any of the pay-per-click or the social ads that you're running as opposed to a year ago or two years ago? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, overall, we're definitely paying more for leads now than we ever did before. Um, the general trend is increasing cost per lead. Um, but if we're looking from an ROI standpoint, it's pretty similar to where it was in the past. And the reason being deals are big these days. For a lot of our clients that are wholesaling or flipping, they're they're making double the profit they used to per yeah. profit that, per property that they get under contract, and that has a lot of value. So so overall, you know this is a this is a really good time for us um, in terms of this marketing. I think I think this marketing also sustains things going the other direction because there becomes a lot more sellers available. But you know leads get there becomes a higher volume of leads, but they're just not quite as valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know both sides of that coin are are times when, when marketing has value just in a little bit of different ways, but overall we're doing well. I do know some companies that are just getting crushed. And the reason being like the business owner is just not willing to accept what property values are now. So they're like not taking down things anymore that and they're just getting outbid all the time because someone else is willing to pay more and they're overly conservative. Like I have one client that's just getting crushed by that because he's just not willing to pay what properties are worth. And they're just going to really have a hard time doing acquisitions that way. 
Um, or there's some people that like weren't on top of their sales game before and they're just not able to do a good job now. And, you know, theoretically other people are doing a really good job now and they're on top of it. If you're the one that's not, then you're going to get left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, but for people that are on top of the game, this time's as good as any. But like search volume is still there. You know, people are still looking for the, the keyword terms that perform really well for you, but the queries that perform well for you are still performing well. Yeah. Believe it or not, search volumes have been on a steady rise without any real significant dip since 2004. And mm-hmm. since 2018, they've more than tripled for our core group of target keywords. So I don't know why, honestly, yeah. uh, but the search volumes higher than ever before, which is good. Yeah. It kind of leads to my final question before our final questions, uh, which is where are things headed? You know, so in the next couple of years or so, like what, what kind of trends are you seeing either in pay-per-click or digital marketing overall that people should be on the lookout for? Well, uh, I, I don't know how, how deep you want to go in this. I think that marketing is becoming a lot more AI driven. And because of that, um, AI is so, so smart. Uh, if it has the right information and the game more and more is becoming less about dictating how the advertising is done and more about making sure you're giving the machine the information it needs to be successful. And with that, that's our play is we're a data aggregation company, even before an agency, we're aggregating data from all these different markets and we're feeding machine learning algorithms that are functioning across all the markets simultaneously. And in doing so, we're making our algorithms smarter than anybody else's algorithm could ever be with the amount of data that they have. Um, I honestly think that the companies that are going to be performing best in the next little bit are either going to be companies that are running at high volumes, so they have a lot of data, and they're really good at collecting and optimizing based on that, um, or companies that are aggregating across many uh, different companies like ours, um, and they're going to to just be exposed to digital marketing results that you just simply cannot get without that level of data. Yeah, I mean, the, the longer you go, the, the millions of dollars that you spend, uh, the more information you have and the more you can make your campaigns perform better, you know, both current and future. And you must be getting a ton of reward points through the credit cards, huh? Unfortunately, our clients have their own credit cards on the accounts. Um, and oh. I don't. I know it's a, it's a real bummer. I yeah. Probably should, yeah, we, we got to switch that around. Um, but yeah, I, I still do get a lot of rewards. points. <laughs> yeah. The good news about the way you have that set up is that you're not floating that money, you know, where I know that some agencies, <laughs> yeah. yeah, some agencies will, you know, they'll float a $10,000 a month spend or something, you know, plus their fee. And then they have to hope that they get paid back with, you know, net 30 or something. And next thing you know, you know, that credit card comes due. multiply that out. Yeah. And I can tell you this industry is one where defaulting on payments seems to be more common than others. Yeah. Uh, you know, investors tend to be cash poor at different times, you know, just yeah. by the nature of the business. And, and uh, yeah, so I don't know how well trying to collect those fees after the fact would work for us. Well, with um, the monthly recurring difficult. revenue model, like you have, hopefully you're taking people's credit cards down and not invoicing them, but you know, that's, that's your business and you can figure yeah. out how you want to do that. Yeah, we do that. Thank you. Um, right. So it's, uh, yeah, anyway, we're, we're good. But yeah, the spend would be tough to float. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Of, be a lot. So if you're listening to this and you, you, you want to work with Brandon, make sure you pay him also. Okay. Like, you know, just. We do prefer that. Yeah. <laughs> These guys work hard. Can we get to a couple questions and then we will, um, you know, ask you to tell everyone where to find you. We'll put everything in the show notes, obviously. The first question mm-hmm. that we have for you is if you can get up on stage for a half hour and talk straight about anything in the world uh, with no preparation, not pay-per-click advertising, what would it be? 
real bummer you said not pay-per-click advertising because i was about to say i could go like 12 hours there yeah so if we're doing something that's not just uh not just digital marketing split boarding do you know anything about split boarding nothing uh, nope it is so i'm assuming you know what snowboarding is um yes. snowboarding <laughs> is uh of course snow sport um i live in utah where we have all kinds of great mountains you know tons of snow um split boarding is where you get a snowboard that you split in half so it basically splits into two skis and then you put skins on those and you use it to basically backcountry ski to the top of a mountain so you can hike mm. like that and then at the top of the mountain you put them together and then you snowboard down the mountain i'm actually headed later today to to go do that in, in one of the canyons out here um, absolutely love doing it it's like a combination between like snowboarding and hiking and that is wild yeah i don't think we have that in the northeast do we rory I've never seen it and we don't have snow anymore this, uh, this deep into April, but. Oh, we just got a blizzard here, but it's, uh, that's rare though. It's, that's not normal, but you, you for sure have it. You just haven't seen it because the people who do this, um, obviously are not in places that you would see them because they're in the back country, unless you're just like charging around in the back country pretty often (laughs) and you happen to see people there. I'll have to check Google Trends and see what the uh, volume is for split boarding and see over time how popular it's going. Yeah, you'll have to see. It, it's become more popular recently um, because historically, like ski touring was much more feasible, but with the snowboard, it was less feasible. The split boards are kind of a cool way around that. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, it's a lot of fun. I'm a I'm an adventure adventurous person, so I love you're the from, idea you, of. Yeah, you're from Utah. You look the part, so I'm not, I have no doubt. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Second question. Tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you work today. Yeah, good question. So believe it or not, I am a person that's very risk averse. And through being very risk averse, I like my belief, I don't know where this was put into my brain, but my belief growing up in my early adult years was that entrepreneurship is super risky and you know, just don't do that if you don't want to be bankrupt. It was interesting because at some point I was talking to one of my clients actually. And because my plan, by the way, when I started getting into this marketing, I wanted to learn a lot because I wanted to get a job in digital marketing. That's why I started my company. Um, it was a way for me to, I had no opportunity costs practically. I was making like $15 an hour somewhere else. And you know, I started this on the side of that. And I was like, I'll just learn stuff so that I can get an internship. That was my plan. Um, and even come like my, when I graduated from college, I was making like five or six times as much money from this company as like people do with jobs at college. And still my plan was to get a job <laughs> because I was like, well, I want a job. You know, I didn't have an ounce of my being that was like you know, four hour work week. I hate working in companies. stuff like that, I'd be like the perfect corporate employee. Um, mm-hmm. I love that kind of stuff. But I, yeah, I was talking to someone and I was just explaining this to them, like, I don't know what I'm going to do with the company. And they're like, you understand, like, it's riskier to work for someone else than it is for yourself. Like, at least doing this, you control what's going to happen. You have more control over where you're at. And I, uh, I never, ever thought of it that way. And ever since then, I can never go back. Um, I definitely think, like, I finally believe that what I'm doing now is safer than what I would do otherwise. And I see how kind of that compounds and how I have so many opportunities to grow as a person. So I'm kind of a converted entrepreneur, if that makes sense. Have your parents finally stopped asking you when you're going to get a job? Um, yeah. Yeah. They, they have stopped asking me when I'm going to get a job. Um, I don't know if they ever asked the time, um, but well, yeah. yeah, I don't know. 
people find their they're, way thankfully into, i didn't have too much pressure from that side no good yeah people find their way into what they're doing in lots of different ways you know so uh, i'm not surprised to hear that but i mean if you're risk averse and you're split boarding you know those two things might not it feels very risky to go down a mountain but maybe you're a little bit less risk averse than you think yeah not to mention i also like paragliding so i oh, okay. uh, you know like the the split boarding avalanche danger like paragliding entrepreneur is uh doesn't sound risk averse, but, but really what I, what I am is I, I trust myself and I am very analytical about risk and I enjoy risk mitigation. So it's not that I don't ever do something risky. It's that I control my risks very closely and operate in such a way that I don't expose myself to too much risk, but still get to do fun things. And that's kind of like, that's interesting for me, like, you know, being out split boarding and digging a pit and analyzing the snow layers and, you know, estimating the likelihood of the local avalanche and, making decisions based on that is a place where I can trust myself. And I think it's fun. Also I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those guys that just like goes out there and just like shreds anything and you know, yeah. doesn't care. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very conservative in all the things I do. But you bet on yourself. And I think that that's yep. what, that's what the moral is there, which is always good to do. If people have the confidence to bet on themselves. You know, you'll go very far. Final question. What are you listening to? It, or reading betting or on yourself is good. Betting on yourself is a great, great <laughs> thing. Yes. The final question is, what are you listening to or watching or reading these days? So I just finished a book that I, that I loved. It was called Multipliers. Not sure if you've read that. Uh, it's kind of like a, a leadership book. Uh, basically, what they did is they analyzed output that leaders get from their employees. Not necessarily like how much their employees like them or like those kinds of things, but what kind of output they get from their employees. And they found the commonalities between leaders that get the most out of their employees and those that don't. And they call those who get the most out of their employees multipliers and those that get the least out of their employees diminishers because they basically diminish the natural talents and put that into a really digestible book where where you can basically learn how you can achieve more output from your team. Um, and I thought it was it was a I thought it was really well done and, and really insightful. Mm-hmm. It goes into the entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, now you're looking for ways to grow your business too. Probably things that you never thought of a couple of years ago when you were just doing this for fun to try to get a job. Oh yeah. It's, it's way different. I went from like a, you know, that to like teaching other people, to managing other people, to managing people who manage other people. Like there's, there's like that whole deleting and like, there's, there's like a whole journey, you know, your, your business can't grow any faster than you do personally. So yeah. I try to do that, but I'm certainly not you know, anytime my business has ever struggled, it's been because of some efficiency I have personally. And I'm very aware of that. And so I try to fix those things. Yeah. And there's a lot of like, you know, skills that go into, you know, people skills with clients and with your own coworkers. I mean, like, you know, you're dealing with their lives, right? Like people have kids out of work. They have, uh, they have to find childcare. They have to deal with COVID for the past couple of years. They have to, you know, pay their mortgages and everything. And like a lot of the decisions that you make impact all those things from your clients and from your customers. So, you know, I'm sure you're oh, totally yeah. out along the way. I'm definitely in a leveraged position. Makes it a little bit hard to sleep at night. Yeah. I see how much money we spend for our clients. Yeah, and I see all the money we pay to our employees and all this stuff. I'm like, oh shoot, hopefully we do this right. Yeah, well, keep having your clients give you their credit card numbers so they could pay for the actual uh, digital marketing. You're just yeah, there we go. to pay you for the service fee. So speaking of it, so Bateman Collective, like why Collective? I like that name. What's it, where'd it come from? Man, I don't even, I'm, I'm not even positive where, like, I, I think I just thought of it, like at some point, yeah. it's honestly one of those things where like, at some point I was just like, we got to call this something. 
And it was like a 20 minute thought process and it was done. Looking back, I like, I kind of don't like it because I want to get my name out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, because I don't want it to be about me. Um, but then, of course, that's a mess because everybody knows us as that. And, right. you know, we built up really solid reputation and brand in this industry and stuff. So, anyways, that, I guess that's just kind of where it came from. It's supposed to sound like professional and, and, I created it when I was a one-person company. Maybe that's why it says collective. We had to look big enough that people would actually pay us. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the, the way you'll get your name out of the company is when you get sold, you know, and somebody acquires you and then just merges you in with their name. But yeah, I think that should maybe be that's sailed. it. Yeah, it is actually why Rory didn't do first. We were talking about the name of your law firm, and we didn't. Yes, I mean, so I, yeah, I started off as the law office of Rory J. Gill, and I realized like that it doesn't. The brand doesn't stand for anything. It's just another name in a string of other attorneys' offices down the street. So then I came up with Urban Village Legal to at least allow me some flexibility with practice area, but to kind of connote the business that I do the real estate, the, the property oriented practice. So I retitled everything into Urban Village Legal and I never looked back and I'm still amazed with all the, the small law practitioners, real estate agents who just name their business after themselves because you can't scale yourself. But the collective yeah. part allows the you collective, to scale. The collective yes. is good leadership and a uh, ability to grow. So Could have, should have, would have made some different name. We're stuck now, so we'll just roll with it. I think it, it looks great and it sounds great. And I'm guessing what's Thank the URL? You. Is it batemancollective.com? Yep. Okay. That's and it. how should people reach out to you guys? Like lead form there, direct email? Like what are you looking for? Yeah, I mean, batemancollective.com is the place to go if you want to look at the opportunity of working with us. Um, that'll, like I mentioned earlier, get you in touch with Nola, who will kind of see if it's a good fit and who is uh, very much. Uh, he very much has your best interests in mind. That's exactly what I was looking for when I was looking for someone for that role. And, and I think he does a really good job in that. If you want to reach out to me directly for whatever reason, you can always email me. My email is brandon at batemancollective.com. So pretty simple. First name and on the, the website. And I'm you know, more than happy to help you out. Great. We appreciate your time so much today. I mean, like we've had a lot of, uh, I probably could have talked for another couple of hours about this. And, you know, I think that at this point we'd lose a lot of folks because when you talk digital marketing too long, you know, it's like getting a lot of attorneys in the room together. No offense, Rory, but no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely prone to that. So yeah. yeah it, it, out. It, it shows you're passionate. Um, Rory, mm-hmm. tell us where everyone could find you. Um, people could test my search marketing and just search for me online. Or if that doesn't work, find me at Next Home Title Town, nexthometitletown.com or Urban Village Legal, urbanvillagelegal.com. Based on some of our SEO work, I can guarantee if you search for Next Home Title Town, you will find <laughs> us very easily at the top of that page. Yep. There won't be paid ads, but there will be yep. organic listings. Brandon, thank you so much. We'll have to check back with you in another episode uh, and see how things are going down the line because you know we're eager to uh, watch your business grow and uh, to learn more about you as the digital marketing space changes. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Um, great to meet both of you. I'm um, looking forward to connecting again soon. Awesome. And if you're still listening to this, can you please give us a rating of five stars, maybe four, but explain why you're giving us four or a thumbs up uh, or just subscribe to the podcast or follow us on YouTube because uh, we are building our audiences. We respond to all of our comments and we are eager to deliver more of these great episodes to you as, uh, as time goes on. So uh, on behalf of Brandon and Rory, I'm Jason. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Thanks. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town. 
Greater Boston's Progressive Real Estate Brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.